Well, man, what a joy it is to worship with you guys this morning. Um, we are going to continue uh, in the gospel called Mark. Uh, we've been in this gospel for the last several weeks. I hope you guys have enjoyed, uh, the, uh, you know, as we've unpacked it and tried to uh, really make sense of it this whole time. Um, but we've been looking at this book because Mark is, there are four accounts of Jesus' life, and Mark is the shortest. And it's the most action-packed. It's always moving, always moving. Something is going on. But the reason why we're taking a look at this book is because we watch as people follow Jesus throughout this account. Because we're asking for ourselves, what does it look like today for us to follow Jesus? And so we're going to continue this journey, if you will, alongside Jesus in Mark chapter 2. Um, but before we, I just jump in right away. I will never forget the project in seminary that took me, required me, to go to a grungy bar. <laughs> to give you a little background before I get to it right away, Shelby and I, 11 years ago, moved to Hamilton, Massachusetts, right down the road, so that I could go to school at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Now, I had no clue what to expect going into seminary. I didn't know what, what people did there. All, all I knew is that, hey, ministry is probably going to be in our future. But I figured, hey, you go to seminary, there's going to be a lot of thinking, praying, reading, studying, discussing, things like that. But I had no framework that this holy training would lead me to a grungy bar. That is until I took a class with Professor Steve Kang. And Dr. Kang believed that the best way that any of us learn is to get outside of our comfortable box. And Gordon-Conwell was a box. If, if you know anything about the campus, even if you've heard of it, it actually used to be a monastery years ago. So it's in this secluded, beautiful location tucked away in Hamilton. And like many students, my wife and I lived in the on-campus housing. So we could have easily spent those three years of training just thinking praying, spending time with people who were like us, there for the same reason as us, just enjoying our box. But then, on the first day of class, Dr. Kang says, I got a project for you guys. He says, I want you to find a group of people different from you at a location that you would normally not go. And then I want you to go there and observe this group of people and their culture without letting anybody know that you're there for a project, and then keep track of what it is you learn. At first, I was like, this is just creepy. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about this. But then I realized what he was trying to teach us to do from the get-go was how to observe people and their culture without jumping to quick lazy judgments about them. So he broke us up into groups of four, and one guy in my group said, hey, I know this really grungy bar in downtown Beverly. Let's go there right after people get off work. So we went from our holy bubble to this dimly lit bar with nothing but a neon beer sign out front. And I'll never forget the first time I walked in there and opened that door it felt like an old western, right? Where everybody just stops what they're doing and stares at the weirdos who just walked in. Because no one dressed like us, no one was our age, no one spoke like us, if you know what I mean, right? It was completely different. And so looking like stiff, awkward cowboys who just got off their horse, we just kind of walked to the bar and just sat down 
And immediately, like, well, what do we have to do? All right, well, let's observe. All right, so we observed the best we could. And if I'm dead honest, my initial thoughts looking back as I sat down at that bar was, I've got life figured out a little better than these people do. I felt a little superior to them. But eventually, observation became conversation. And I started striking up some conversations with some of the regulars there. And as I began to talk to them, I began to hear their stories, their struggles, their hometowns. And, the, and we went back there several other times that semester. And as we did, I began to, like a shift started happening in my own heart. Realizing that the people that we were there to get to know, they were very much just like me. They were lonely at times. They struggled with fear, insecurity. They had passions. They had celebrations. They had wounds. And what we came to realize is that that, that bar for them gave them a sense of community. A sense of a place where they could decompress. Where they could talk. They could meet that basic human need. And after doing that, after visiting there for several months, then it became even more clear why Dr. Kang gave us this project. Because he was teaching us how to intentionally enter the world of other people and truly see them. He was teaching us how not to be intimidated by the differences of others, but how to listen for their passions and their aches. That instead of, of, of categorizing people into neat judgmental categories, how can we learn to see them? Because he knew that we can never learn to love anybody until we learn to see them. And we can never learn to see them like Jesus until we were present with them. And as we learn to follow Jesus together, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 2 this morning to see that the kind of person Jesus was and the reason why he came is he entered into our real world too for the purpose of healing, rescuing, delivering. But in order to do that, he had to enter our space. And if we follow Jesus, then we're asking today, what will that begin to do to our relationships? The kind of relationships we build and the kind of lifestyle that we lead. All right, so let's turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17 this morning. And if you will, actually, let's stand up together. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. I'll read while you guys follow along. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Lord, may your word go forth and may it accomplish the purpose for which you have it. And may our hearts and minds be open to you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, 
Amen. Have a seat. Thank you. So, when we read the story of Jesus, what is supposed to capture our attention right away? Now, what is it that is striking or unmistakable about who Jesus was and how he came into the world? Let me start with this. When others move away from rejects, enemies, and sinners, Jesus moves closer to heal. All right, we're in Mark 2. And in Mark 2, Jesus already has quite the following. He has so many people following him that he has to actually go by the sea just to make space for everybody coming. He's a busy man. But no matter how busy or how many people surrounded Jesus, he was never too busy to see the one. And as he's passing back through Capernaum, he sees the one. He sees Levi the tax collector, and says, follow me. Now, already, by Mark 2, Jesus has done a lot of pretty wild things. He called fishermen to follow him. He cast out a demon. He touched a leper and healed him. And he even claimed he had the authority to forgive sin. But I don't think there's anything more scandalous up until this moment than right here. Why? Because any self, no self-respecting Jew in that day would be caught dead with a tax collector. And there are two reasons for that. First, tax collectors were national traitors. Not traitors with a D, traitors with a T. (laughs) National traitors. Many Jews in the first century were highly nationalistic. They took a lot of pride in what it meant to be the people of God. But Levi was a Jewish man who willfully chose to collect taxes from other Jewish men and women in order to fatten the pockets of the corrupt Herod Antipas in Rome. To give you, I guess, the best comparison I can have is imagine how the French during World War II would have felt about fellow Frenchmen who became Nazi sympathizers. That's how the Jews felt about Levi. He was, if you had any respect or any pride in who you were or your nation, Levi was an enemy. But the number two reason, not only was a national traitor, but second, tax collectors were dirty thieves who even stole from the poor. To give you background, Capernaum was in a key location on a trade route. A lot of people coming from Asia, in order to get to Rome or Egypt, would have to pass through Capernaum. So most likely, Levi was a toll collector. It was his job that as people came through, everyone and everything that came through Capernaum, he levied with a tax. But this system was ripe for abuse. Because no one knew what the actual tax rates were except Levi. So you could stroll on up with your cart full of grain or fish. He could look around a little bit, and all of a sudden he just gives you an invoice. And most of the time, it was so common that a tax collector didn't just give you an invoice for what Herod or Rome wanted. He gave you a bit more to fatten his pockets and even pay off the soldiers who were guarding beside him. Why not? And if you couldn't pay it, well, he would be happy to issue you a loan with an exorbitant interest rate. So they were dirty thieves and traitors. Levi was the enemy. He was a first century Bernie Madoff. 
He was the, the, the bully at the school, the corrupt politician, the abusive boss. Why would anyone have compassion for this guy? But when we can only see someone's sin and hypocrisy, Jesus sees who God made people to be. So when Levi heard Jesus' invitation, it says that he left everything. And he was beginning to a journey that would leave him never the same. And some of the other gospels, Levi is actually referred to as Matthew, which is kind of confusing. But you know how with, with Peter, he has two names, Simon Peter. And Jesus gave Peter the name because he's a rock, and Peter means rock. Well, many scholars believe that Levi was given the name Matthew. It was actually Levi Matthew, and Matthew means a gift of God. So we have this dirty thief and crook. And Jesus saw he was a gift of God. He would never be the same. And as he began to move toward Levi, we see that if Jesus can transform someone like him, then no one is too far gone from Jesus reaching, is it? Not your kids, not your parents, not your neighbor, not even the politician. Right? No one is too far gone from Jesus. But because when Jesus looks at us, he sees who God made us to be. This is why Jesus moves toward people who are broken. Because it is his mission to heal and see, Jesus has to move toward Levi, because given Levi, Levi knows he's a reject, and there's nothing in him that believes that Jesus would actually accept him. So if Jesus, he's ever going to follow Jesus, Jesus knows I have to move into his world. And so he goes to Levi and calls him, entered his world, spent time with him, and Jesus even showed up at his house and ate and drank and laughed with him and his friends. And I love this scene because it's proof to me that, that Levi isn't just a, another nameless patient. Levi isn't just a, a, another somebody or a project. Jesus loved him. This wasn't about another conversion. This was about a transformation. And because Jesus loved him, the great physician entered his world in order to heal him. Jesus was not okay with Levi's sin any more than a doctor is okay with disease. But a doctor has to move into the world of the sick if they're going to heal. Jesus was not okay with Levi's sin any more than moms here are okay with their kids' salty attitude. But they still move into their kids' lives in order to help them mature. And when we see this picture of Levi, though, do we realize that this is but one picture of who Jesus is for you, for me, for the world, too. That the almighty God who created us left the glory of heaven to enter our world. And it's not because we're just oh so cute, right? Are we not thieves and traitors of heaven's glory who have exchanged the worship and affection and love that was meant for God for lesser things? Yet, God came among us. Jesus 
to proclaim the good news to the poor, liberty to the captives and oppressed, recovery of sight to the blind. This is exactly what Jesus proclaimed of himself in Luke 4. That heaven's glory entered our darkness, giving its, his life on a cross for our lifeless souls. See, Jesus didn't just set up his station in a hospital and wait for people to come to him. He was more like those mobile doctors of the olden days. He came into our world. He called your name so that he might make you whole in a relationship with him. And none of it is because we deserve it. The opposite is actually true. But it's all a gift of grace he's waiting for us to receive. But why is it hard to receive this? Why is this difficult to grasp and understand? Because it is unlike the way the world works, right? You know, our natural human reflex is to run toward our friends and away from our foes, right? 450 years before Jesus lived one of the world's most brilliant doctors in Greece named Hippocrates. Now, traditionally, Hippocrates has been known as the father of modern-day medicine. As a rite of passage, uh, many doctors, even to this day, take a modified version of the Hippocratic Oath. Maybe you've heard that, which is a code of ethics before they begin to practice medicine. So basically, Hippocrates was kind of a big deal. Well, there's an old story about Hippocrates, that during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, the Persian Empire was hit with a devastating plague. And King Artaxerxes heard that Hippocrates was the world's most brilliant physician. So he sent a team to go find him and recruit him to help. Problem was, the Greeks and Persians were ancient bitter enemies. But because the Persians were so desperate, they brought heaps of gold and laid it right before Hippocrates and said, will you help us? There's actually an old painting of this scene. You can't, I'm not sure how well you can see it, but the guy on the left there, that's Hippocrates pushing away the gold being given to him. And his reply in that story was, no, I have enough food, clothing, shelter, and everything else I need for life. I don't want all that Persian opulence. Get this, I will not help those who are enemies of the Greeks. For him, patriotism beat mercy hands down. Even the father of medicine judged friend or foe before he helped somebody. And this is exactly how the religious leaders in Jesus' day treated their enemies too. We see, we meet the Pharisees for the first time here in verse 16. Pharisee literally means one who separates. Because they saw it, they needed to stay away from all evil influences in their lives, like tax collectors and sinners. Now, when we look at that, we can applaud their motive to want to live a holy life for God. However, they thought that to be holy was not just to, to, to set themselves apart from sin, but also to set themselves apart from the people who didn't live up to their righteous standards. Meaning, instead of seeing people first through the eyes of a doctor, 
They saw people first through the eyes of a judge. And assuming, keyword, assuming, they were the righteous and the well ones, they moved away from all those sick of soul body. But how can anyone meet the healing love of God if we separate from the sick? But in a post-pandemic society that's growing increasingly polarized, I'm concerned that the American church today could gradually move away from the sick too. It seems in our society that it's easier than ever to separate from our foes and those not like us. In pandemic life, it's no fault of our own, right? But just the way it is, in pandemic life, in-person time is way down. Social media time is way up. And what that means is that for a lot of us, our relationships are growing more superficial And we're getting to be surrounded by voices that are really just a lot like ours. Because our social media feed, what does that tend to give us? What does that tend to put in front of us? People who already think like us and believe like us. And so we find ourselves as a society caught in a lot of echo chambers, which is the same old voices swirling around. And so in our isolation, we don't have to interact with those people if we don't want to, which means that we're surrounded with people who who think like us, talk like us, and believe like us. I can still tell you how wrong that person is without knowing them. And what concerns me, though, even more, is that as our society moves more post-Christian and secular, many American Christians view it as a good thing to separate themselves from society. There's actually a movement of Christians right now in America who are advocating for a return to, to a more cloistered life almost monastic life, you know, where we try to rid ourselves of any potential secular influence upon us, which means we have to move away from even those who believe differently than we do. But again, as Christians, I I applaud the desire to want to live up to the moral standards of Jesus, right? Like, Like that is something we are called to do. That is part of being like Jesus. But as the world becomes less like Jesus, we do too if we move away from the sick and the needy. To separate from the sinners, traitors, and thieves is following the way of Hippocrates or the Pharisees, not Jesus. So in a post-pandemic, post-Christian society, how can we follow Jesus toward the sick and broken? How can we just begin to think about a fresh vision for what it means to live in this world but not live of it like Jesus? Because see, the church of Jesus is meant to be a mobile hospital for all people, both friend and foe. First, though, I want to encourage you guys. Because there are so many ways that I already see this church, Trinity, acting like a mobile hospital. 
For the past several weeks, I, I know there's a group in our church that have been going out to the streets in order to meet people and to pray for those who are in pain and sick and sharing the truth of Jesus with them. When I think about a mobile hospital, I think about our own Anita Cunha, who works in a prison, the Suffolk prison, as a wellness and recovery coach. And there are several others in our churches who are wellness recovery coaches that are come to pick up the broken and the hurting. When I think about our church, I think about the number of doctors and nurses who are literally stepping in to heal the broken and the hurting and doing so with the healing power of Jesus. When I think about what it means to be a mobile hospital, I think about Jody Schaefer who for years just developed a relationship with her neighbors, the Bouchers. Nothing fancy, right? Just getting to know them, and they knew that she followed Jesus. A month ago, we got to baptize Mike and Darcy Boucher here, and they're sitting right there. Like, that's a mobile hospital where we are going among, and many of you, right, more than I can possibly name. You come here on Sundays, but throughout the week, man, you are showing the love and the power of Jesus in your workplaces, your community groups, among clients, patients, talking with your neighbors, and even loving the extra grace required family members. One thing I love about this church is the way that you guys love, get passion behind lifting up the broken and the lonely and welcoming so as followers of Jesus, though, how can we all step more fully into our role as a mobile hospital? How can we? All right, I got three thoughts for us. First, before we can talk about meeting, <laughs> going out and sharing Jesus with others, we need a vibrant relationship with Jesus through prayer and scripture. All right, before we step into a secular society with warring ideas where right and wrong is whatever you want it to be, we need to know not just the truth of Jesus, but the love of Jesus for ourselves. Do you realize that even Jesus realized he couldn't fulfill his mission unless he spent a lot of time alone still with his Father? And all of us, unlike Jesus, we are still in process. We are still healing. We are still, he's still working within us. So how much more do we need to spend time with our Father, developing those disciplines of prayer and coming to his word? And I've learned that the more people that God puts in front of me and the more responsibility he gives me, I don't graduate from spending time with, <laughs> with God. Like, I, I need it more than ever. So before we can talk about really reaching our culture, do, have we been rooted in Jesus? But number two, we also need a grace-filled Christian community where we can practice how to love. Before we can talk about loving those different from us, how well do we love those like us in our own community? Right? You know, before we can get together, you know, whenever we get together, excuse me, whenever we get together, this is an opportunity to practice showing grace, listening well, speaking well, to and of one another, exercising patience. And the thing about this community that's so fantastic is we are a community that's saved by grace. And so we should know how to practice, hey, like, 
yeah, man, you wronged me. Man, I'm sorry. Hey, it's okay. Like, like God gives me grace, I give you grace too. This is where we learn to practice what it means to love one another. And in a, a career-driven, individualistic area, like this area north of Boston, it's here that we learn to slow down, reach out, build up, and unconditionally love. And many of you, You've taught me a lot about what it means to love like that. So before we can truly be mobile doctors, are we rooted in Jesus? Are we growing in love together? But third, as that happens, then we, we learn to then take the healing love and power of Jesus to real people who are in need. Do you want to know one thing about love? It's not fast. Even as Jesus has his busy schedule, all the people around him, he still, his eyes were still looking for that one. And as he's walking through town in motion, he still notices Levi, the man with his sick soul at that tax booth. And if we are going to learn to practice love and learn to be mobile doctors in our social spheres... I'm not about to tell you, well, you need to move to Africa or you need to move someplace else. Maybe God's telling you to do that. I'm not, right? But let's just start with where we are right now. Where we are right now. Could we learn to slow down and see the quiet coworker, the incessant client, the neighbor who speaks a different language, the insecure teenager, the stressed out single mother, the man with a disability, the rude liberal or conservative Facebook poster, the parent at the soccer games who you're pretty sure is, is Muslim, right? The, the, the condescending uncle even, right? Like, can we stop and slow down and see them again? Take them, tear down our box for a moment, our category, and to say, Jesus Will you show me how you see him or her? And show me how to see him or her, not with the eyes of a judge, but with the eyes of a doctor. And at that point, we learn, hey, can I, can I strike up a conversation? Can I send them a direct message on social media just to encourage them? Maybe I can figure out how they like their coffee and just bring it to them one day. Or maybe I can break out the grill because it's so nice outside and just invite a couple people over. But either way, we take a step into their world because this is why Jesus came. And I don't want to say all of this to give you some romantic notions of, oh, doesn't this sound beautiful, right? Like oftentimes when we step into the world of the broken and the hurt and the needy, it is messy. We take three steps forward and sometimes it feels like we take four steps back the next day. It can be messy, but that's where Jesus is, right there in the midst of it. And if Jesus moved into the world as a doctor, then let's follow in his way. Amen. Amen. In John 17, Jesus prayed, Lord, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then he adds, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them. We said, but I'm not Jesus. 
But Jesus said in John 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works, everybody say greater works. Then these will he or she do because I am going to the Father. You realize that God has placed you in the school, in the family, workplace, neighborhood, club, association for a reason. Why? Because they're hurting broken people there in need of his healing grace and love. The late British pastor John Stott said it this way, and I want you to, this is the last thing I got for you. A doctor spends his time with the sick, not because he likes sickness, nor because he approves of being sick, still less because he wants to perpetuate disease in the world, but because he is dedicated to healing, just so Jesus mixed with tax collectors and sinners and still does. Not because he likes their ways or approves of them. Still less because he wants to encourage and promote sin in the world. But because he came into the world to save them. He is the physician of our souls. And just like he moved into my world and your world in order to heal, rescue, and redeem, so he wants to do the same through us in the midst of our space. So just get in your, I want us to, here at the end, just imagine for a moment some of the faces of those who are just a part of your regular social circle. It could be coworkers, it could be family, it could be anybody. And with their face in your mind, Say, Jesus, show me how to see this person with the eyes of a doctor, not a judge. And as you show me how you see them, show me just the next step I can take into their world with your healing power and love. Because if Jesus moved into the world as a doctor, then let's follow in his way. Stand up with me. Let's pray. Jesus, this, uh, this passage, this story, seeing the way you are and how you live, man, it rocked me this week. I've realized the only areas in, in my life where I've, I've leaned more towards just trying to be safe and comfortable instead of leaning out to, to look to see who, who is it that you want to love. But God, I pray that as a result of this message, one thing you showed me at first, I felt very guilty like, man, I don't do this enough. I don't do this enough. But as I wrestled with it more, I all of a sudden started feeling excited about the opportunities that are around us and around me. And I pray, Father, that as a result of seeing this picture of who you are, Jesus, that we would not be left with this feeling of guilt or, oh, it's just one more thing i got to do. But instead, Lord, that we would look out and say, oh, I'm alive for, for such a thing as this. I'm here on this earth for such a thing as this. Because there are people that you love, that you want to reach, and that you want to use us. You, we get the privilege of being a part of your kingdom work on this earth. So, Jesus, will you open our eyes to see with the lens of a doctor, not a judge. And may you show us how to, instead of viewing the world or ourselves as, as, as superior, may we see, God, that they are broken just like we once were. And may you move through us to heal our neighbors, our family members, and those around us. All for your glory, for your honor, the movement of your kingdom. 
In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Let's sing.
seeing me with the eyes of a doctor. If you saw me through the eyes of a judge, I would not be standing here. But it's because you saw me with compassion. And Lord, even though it makes me nervous stepping into new places and new people and trying to figure out how, how do I develop relationships with those different from me, Lord, I pray that you will give me the love that overcomes fear. And the strength in your eyes to take that step into the world of others with your healing love and power. Root us as a church more deeply in you. Grow us in love for one another. And then show us how to take that out into everywhere you lead us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen.